Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast on the planet that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 79, we feature our thoughts on the first two weeks of World Cup TV coverage, news about Serie A TV rights in the United States, which European league is getting $1.3 billion a season under a new TV rights deal, plus letters from you, the listeners. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, uh, two weeks into the World Cup, and uh, we're almost at the... We're recording this on Thursday morning, almost into the knockout stages. Um, I know that you've been watching a lot of Telemundo, um, so have I. I've been jumping back and forth between Fox, Telemundo, a little bit of BBC, a little bit of ITV... Um, but uh, are you still on the on the uh, Telemundo um, only, or how how are things in terms of the television land? I've been watching Telemundo only, although I will give a couple caveats. One, uh, I still do want to listen to Derek Ray and Ali Wagner, who I think are, are very good, uh, and who I have not been able to listen to yet in this World Cup. Both of whom I think are very good individually. I should say I haven't listened to them as a as a unit. I think uh, uh, it's a waste to have. Uh, them in Los Angeles, but I still do want to listen to them call a game. So I will be looking at our announcer listings, everything uh, on World Soccer Talk and listening to them at some point. Secondly, I do want to see Clarence Sador from studio. Every time I flipped onto Fox, uh, I have not seen him and therefore I flip back. Um, thirdly, I think I'll give Telemundo a miss for the next Mexico game because uh, their, their um, inability. Now there is, obviously a, a natural tendency of Telemundo like Univision in the past to, um, to one emphasize the, 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 the Latin American teams, uh, be they South American teams or Central American teams, although less so Central American teams, quite frankly. Um, and two, an emphasis on Mexico, which Univision I always thought was a bit over the top with. Uh, Telemundo has been more measured in this world cup until I feel Yesterday, when um, Sweden wins that match three uh, 0 uh, you watched you and I watched part of it together, Chris. Actually, on, on right. Telemundo, and, uh, and the post match was just you know, this. It, it was like Fourth of July fireworks, and it was just uh, completely, completely biased television. Um, 
it, and um, it was reminiscent of uh, what probably would have happened if somehow the U.S. had gotten through the group stage in 2006 on ESPN when they were pushing that angle, or um, uh, uh, what 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 might happen, uh, what might have happened this time with the U.S. on Fox. So. Um, I I, uh, I think I'll probably watch Fox for the next uh, for the Mexico Brazil game um, on uh, whatever day that'll be Monday. Uh, this weekend. Right. Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's something I've noticed. Uh, so, so from my perspective too, and, and from yours, Kartik, in many ways, is that uh, we've been watching so much Telemundo that now we we can see kind of the the, the pros and cons of of Telemundo, which goes to which says a lot. Um, I mean, both of us are English speaking. I mean, you speak a little bit of Spanish, a, a lot more than I do. Uh, I know a couple of words here and there. But uh, but for me, for Telemundo, uh, definitely Andres Cantor, whenever he's commentating a game, it's like a whole different experience. And, and that is uh, a must-have. So whenever he's calling games, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, Sami Sadovnik, uh, also too, I think, uh, a different commentating style. Uh, I like Sami uh, and his commentating the others, not so much. I mean, a lot of the other ones seem to be um, a lot more talkative. I can tell that they're cracking jokes between the games. And also uh, with Viviana Villa, the, the female uh, commentator, the co-commentator, she, she talks a lot, um, almost sometimes in games, almost as much as the, the commentator. So for me, sometimes I've, I've gone back to watch the Fox uh, commentary. Um, there has been this inherent conflict in the Spanish language yeah, and commentary about football in this country. Uh, going back, uh, Univision, the two announcers like Andres Contour, who are South American and who have a very pronounced style and who, are quite for me, are quite good, um, having to a largely Mexican American audience whose desire for commentary style is quite different than what an Argentine or an Uruguayan might want. Um, it's similar to what we have in English language with, with British commentators commentating to an American, largely kind of. Um, a blue blooded, blooded American, non anglicized audience. Um, so, but it, but, I, but, but, um, but it's all it, it's also kind of like the difference between American commentators and, and British commentators, right? So yeah. British commentators, there's a lot more um, space, a lot more kind of pauses. Uh, sometimes, you I mean with John Champion, it could be ten or twenty seconds without no talking, just letting the game speak for itself. The American commentators are very, very talkative. They'll be talking about stats. They'll be talking about uh, backstories. All these different things are happening as the game is happening. Um, and then when the goal call happens for American commentators, it's silence. They let the crowd do the talking. Uh, the British style is, is very much, you know, when the goal is scored, you mean bang, 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 just just in, in there with the co-commentator, uh, with the commentator, and then the co-commentator comes in with some really... I mean, interesting insights. It's a completely different style. Yeah, and and, I, and talking to a lot of my uh, Latino friends, they talk about this kind of contrast between Argentine and Uruguayan actors, uh, Chilean announcers, and the desires of the Mexican American, which is quite different. So I think that's interesting. I'll also mention that I've uh, my coverage every single day uh, with watching. Uh, and I didn't last night yet because of. Um, uh, the the Miami FC game that I went out to 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 to, to uh, attend and, and cover on the west coast of Florida, but um, Fan FC's nightly uh, Brazil show, or, Brazil, <laughs> Russia show. Yeah, I'm back in, in 2014. ESPN FC's nightly Russia show, uh, which has been very good, has now been airing on ESPN two every night at five 
Uh, it's popped up on my program guide. It's DVR'd every night, except for Sunday, which ironically was a night where Kate McGrath was really good, gave this insight, maybe the best tactical insight I've heard of, of the tournament, where she talked about Croatia's midfield, Rakitic and, and Modric, two absolutely great players that we know from club level are top-tier midfielders on the planet. But how would they play together? In the past with Croatia, there have been problems. Um, but this World Cup... Um, maybe a little bit in the last year as we're seeing how they're working off of each other and how they're essentially taking turns and how, uh, as she described, you have to watch seven seconds before the completion of, of a play to look at the movement of those two and the interplay, as well as the way they're interacting with the wingers, which allow them the space in midfield to where they both can play. This was always a problem with England, with Gerard and Lampard, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and Croatia had the problem with Modric and Rakitic, you could argue, until this tournament or, or the Euros of 2016, where there were moments where they looked quite good. But um, they figured it out. And, and I, I really appreciated that piece of tactical analysis. I didn't get that. I haven't gotten that on Fox. Well, I haven't watched Fox. Uh, people aren't getting that on Fox, from what I understand, and certainly not getting that on Telemundo either. Um, just one quick thing on ESPN FC. I love the show every night. Uh, Dan Thomas, as usual, is pushing the right buttons. Craig Burley is fantastic, as always. But then, you know, when the subject of England comes up, there's... You know, a decided lack of objectivity, I think, when it comes to him. But that's that's okay. That's to be expected, right? Right. From Scott. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And sometimes that's entertaining. Sometimes it's, uh, I'm sure, Dan Thomas trying to push, push the buttons to get uh, Craig Burley to, to react. And uh, it'll be interesting to see as England goes into the round of 16 uh, early next week what happens then with uh, Burley and Dan Thomas. I mean, it, oh, well, yeah. I should say this, Chris, sorry uh, to cut you off, but for those of you who don't know, because I think there are Americans who don't understand this, uh, the Scotsmen are anti-England. <laughs> Go ahead. Right. I, I, they may have thought I, I, they, some people may have thought I was saying that they were pro-England. That's not the case. Right. No, yeah, definitely anti-English uh, in every regard. So, so far, Kartik, I mean, this has been a sensational World Cup. Um, we've had some crazy endings to... Many, many games. I mean, the Korea-Germany game was uh, out of this world. Uh, the Croatia-Argentina, wonderful game. Uh, you had the stupendous uh, Spain-Portugal uh, Portugal game uh, at the same time as the, the Spain-Morocco. Uh, actually, no, 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 no. So the Spain-Portugal game was, was the, the just the incredible match early in the tournament. And then you had the Spain-Morocco and Portugal-Iran endings. Uh, but overall, this tournament, to me, has, has been way better than expectations. So in many ways, it should be an easy tournament for Fox and Telemundo to broadcast and analyze because the games are doing the talking for themselves. However, for the most part, this hasn't been the case, especially with, with Fox. Now, Fox, to their credit, um, have been getting better, especially after the, the Korea-Germany games uh, and the Argentina-Nigeria games in trying to match the level of excitement in the studio set from the game. So... This this past week, there's been some really, really good games and just controversial incidents happening on the pitch. Uh, VAR or no VAR or penalties or no penalties. And just, I mean, great commentating by John Strong and, and Stu Holden and just kind of a fever pitch. And then it goes back to the studio and it's like very subdued, uh, some dead air. Um, just, I mean, they're, they're not sure who's supposed to talk when and it's really awkward. It, but it's been getting better the last couple of days, so it's starting to warm up. This is after two weeks. And that's one of my biggest issues with Fox is that um, the level of analysis, which is substandard, 
Um, but and also just just the atmosphere on that studio set is not matching what we're seeing in the games themselves. So for the most part, for the games themselves, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, everyone's watching them. But when it gets to the studio, what's the point of watching it other than to see the highlights? And that's the thing. Fox's uh, coverage thus far, so much of it is focused on the highlights. So it, it's like very formulaic. Even the game ends. Uh, usually pretty quickly, they'll go back to Rob Stone standing there by himself or, or Kate Abdo. Uh, and then they'll um, go back then to the studio set and ha- have them all there talking about the game and it's 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 a letdown it's uh really substandard and uh analysis nothing memorable nothing i mean in this t- two weeks i can't think of one instance one piece of insight that was really informative or insightful and you just gave me one from kate mcgrath about um watching modric and rakitic and looking at seven seconds before you I mean the kind of the play starts and looking at the positioning on the pitch that's uh, that's one piece of information that uh you mean, one example that we have not gotten with Fox. So, in a way, Kartik, I mean, it's um, I, I mean, I, it's probably a good thing you're not watching that much Fox. I am. I'm flipping back and forth, you mean, and just trying to see what they're doing. Last week's podcast, I, I said that it might have been a turning point with Martin O'Neill on the set. Things were starting to get better. Things were starting to click between Mar- uh, Clarence Seedorf and Martin O'Neill. And one week later now, now we're recording this podcast, that was the only day that Martin O'Neill was on the set. <laughs> he hasn't been on since then. <laughs> so, so my hopes uh, came crashing down <laughs> pretty quickly. And um, I don't know. It, it, to me, at the end of the day, Fox is probably looking at the TV numbers. And um, from my observations, just listening to average Americans, who, who some of them are into soccer, and they're just talking about watching the games, and they're they're very focused on just lis- listening to the English uh, broadcast. They, they don't speak Spanish, so to them, you I mean they would never think about listening to like a Spanish commentary. Um, they're they're just watching the games for the pure enjoyment of it. And for the average American sports fan, Fox is probably filling a need. It's an English broadcast. It's English commentators, well, English language commentators. And the analysis, they probably don't care that much about. And that's what it seems to be from Fox, is they don't really seem to care about giving really good analysis. I mean, so much of their uh, the, the actual studio sets is focused on highlights. That's the big thing. So the game ends, they talk for a minute or two, and then into the highlights, they're joking back and forth, not really providing any, anything anything interesting just kind of just it's just entertainment that's all it is entertainment yeah and this is this is interesting because espn has had their highlights as a source who told me last week their highlight a lot been cut from fox they're only showing it on certain programs uh, but espn fc is able to go through a full half hour every day and on sunday an hour uh without highlights and they're forced to talk tactics i mean kate mcgrath's uh discussion of croatia that i, I just talked about they're forced to think like that and give that kind of analysis because they're not showing highlights it makes me think um and i know for casual fans that this is going on during the day you want to see highlights it makes me think that almost in football uh broadcasting football analysis seeing highlights is unnecessary um uh, right yeah, so I, I mean, especially, especially if you watch the game coverage, but right if you watch if the game watch, right if you catch it if you catch it late right right 
But, and with the accessibility to highlights from FIFA TV, I can click on right now, get the same highlights they showed on Fox with uh, oftentimes with Peter Drury or John Champion calling the action, which for me is better than the Fox announcers. Uh, it, that's a personal preference, but um, I don't need all the highlights. And, and that's the thing, though. That's, it, it is so easy. I mean, any, any of us, I mean, the listeners, you can't take, I could, we could all do highlights. I mean, because essentially you press play and just talk, talk the, the viewer through it. I mean, it, there's no... You mean nothing, uh, rock, nothing rocket science about that. Anyone can do that. So, so they're not providing anything, any benefit other than if you join the game late or missed parts of the game or want to see that, see some of the incidents. I'm more interested in the highlights that they're not showing, and that's happens. That's been happening a lot in this past week. Is that uh, with VAR especially? So with VAR, with those highlights at the end of the game, we're seeing kind of those clear instances where VAR is being used. And, you mean, whether it goes, you mean, the referee says, yes, it's a penalty or no, it's not a penalty. Or if it's a yellow card or a red card with elbows. And so we're seeing those. What we're not seeing is highlights of incidents where VAR should have been used. Um, where it's very controversial. And this has happened a lot, Kartik. I mean, whether it's the... Iran game, or I mean, there's so many games that there's incidents that happen. It's like, okay, why wasn't VAR Iran used in that instance? Iran, Portugal. So we know, Kartik, that uh, VAR can only be used in four instances, which are offside, mistaken identity, uh, a situation um, uh, with a red card or leading up to a red card, and, and, and a goal. Um, so, I mean, those are the only t- times that the VAR can be used. And there have been instances where there's been fouls in the box, whether it's, it was in the Sweden game or in the Iran game, where you had fouls happening in the box that were not called. And, and, and that's my biggest criticism of not just Fox, but in general, is that um, there are a lot of things happening and there's very little analysis of, of that situation. Yeah, and, and I think, I don't, I assume this is Fox, but I also think, uh, there is, and, and just FYI, Telemundo has shown some of those incidents, um, and and then scrutinized them in their um, in their analysis that some of the incidents where VAR wasn't used and should VAR have been used, type of thing. But I wonder if there is a desire by Fox because they don't want to tackle the big issues, right? Even like the big political issues surrounding Russia. If there is a desire by Fox executives, having been given this rollover to 2026, which, by the way, Telemundo has gotten as well, but this very controversial situation where uh, because of 2022, we've discussed some of this podcast before. We, I, I don't want to get too deep into it, but um, they are anxious to not offend FIFA. And not offending FIFA would mean everything about VAR is great, the uh any error we're, we're having, it's correcting, and it's correcting in a timely fashion, and isn't this lovely type of thing. Mm-hmm. So in the case of the Iran-Portugal game, you had, I counted when I was talking to someone last night in, in, out in Naples, the Miami FC game, three incidents which um, VAR was not used where it could have been used. Oh, actually, sorry, two incidents where it was not used where it could have been used uh, to help Iran, that, and the remedy would have, would have been helpful to Iran. And the third incident was a Cristiano Ronaldo a potential red card for an elbow that was reviewed and was um, deemed what I don't many of us thought was appropriate punishment for the crime, given the rules of of the game and given application of those rules um, recently. So right. that that that's that sort of stuff 
I, again, I haven't been watching Fox, but my understanding from talking to people, because people are talking to me every day who watch Fox, is that those sorts of things are not being discussed. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, the elbow, I think, I was. But for the most part, the VAR instance that are not shown on highlights are not being focused on. It's as, as if they, they, they didn't even happen. And that's my question, though. My question is, who's supplying the highlights highlight reel? Is it Fox that's editing the highlights and then writes uh, post-match uh, getting anyway, getting ready to hit, show those, or is it is that highlight reel coming from HBS, which is the host broadcasting service, uh, which is the company that is actually worldwide is responsible for all of the um, the TV coverage of the games. So no matter where you live in the world, we're all getting the same TV footage. Fox has no control over that, but is Fox editing the highlight reel, or is that coming from HBS? Because in both, I mean, HBS doesn't want to show anything too controversial, uh, and then Fox. Whether they're trying to protect their relationship with FIFA or, or even even with Russia, I mean they've been really soft on Russia. Uh, it's, it's been extremely positive about Russia. I mean, there's been a a, a doping scandal that was revealed um, last weekend. Right, right, uh, right. Grant, Grant Wall did a piece on Russia this week, and it was all very positive, very kind of rosy. Nothing. There's been no hard hitting. Anything hard hitting. Yeah. It's all been okay. Russia's great, fantastic. Let's move on, type of thing. But Kartik, let me ask you a question. And actually, this is a question for the listeners too. Speaking of VAR, who do you think said this on Fox this week? So on one of the the, the uh, post match uh, analysis, if you can call it analysis, post talk, the uh, post match studio talk, he said VAR has not been a big story in the World Cup. Who do you think said that this week? Rob Stone. Nope, Alexi Lalas. Okay, so, that's my second guess. So it, it was just crazy. VAR has not been a big story in the World Cup. It is the biggest story of this World Cup. This whole World Cup is about VAR. Everyone's talking about VAR. Whether you're for it or against it or in between, VAR is the biggest story in this World Cup. Some right. people love it. and In many ways, it's been fantastic. Uh, I mean, the Korea-Germany game at the end of the, that game, that, that came in, and thanks, thank God for VAR. Uh, in the Spain game. Well, but then again, that's the reason you, you when you have subpar like Mark Geiger, who, by the way, I'm not just picking on an American. I've been uh, press off for matches where he's been the official and the questions inevitably have been about him post game. OK, and when you have subpar officials like that, thank goodness for VAR, because he made a mistake, a clear goal or his linesman made a mistake. Sorry, right, Zaymar right. made a mistake. But um, thank God for VAR, because you are in this situation in this world where you're taking substandard officials from all over the globe to meet some sort of quota. That's a problem. Now, maybe if that were fixed, we wouldn't need VAR, but continue. Yeah, so, so I mean, th- there's been so many instances in this World Cup. I mean, the in the Spain game against Morocco, there was a goal. Um, I think it was ruled offsides, but uh, he was onside. I mean, it's been a lot of clear-cut decisions that VAR has been fantastic. And as we talked about in the last few minutes, there's been a lot of instances where there's been penalty incidents that were ruled not a penalty penalty and VAR was not used it has been the biggest talking point of this entire World Cup so for Lalas to say VAR has not been a big story in the World Cup I don't know what, what he's smoking he did go on to say he said that's a good thing because for the most part it's worked right uh, the calls they're making ultimately they're getting right and that's the that's the biggest issue I have is the calls that they're making ultimately they're getting right ultimately yes that's true but there's a lot of instances, again, too, when VAR should be used and it's not being used. 
and those are the ones that are not uh, that are getting wrong. I mean, because they're not using it at all when 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 it's it's there for them to use. That's my biggest issue. And and that's the thing though too. I mean, it's easy for Fox to lord the benefits of VAR, um, and it's just it's it's really good entertainment. It's really good television. Um, but to me, that's the part that we're missing is is that kind of deep dive analysis about okay, let's go back to that penalty incident in that Sweden game or the penalty incident in in the Iran game. Actually, I think there were a couple of ones. And then let's look at look at that again. Should VAR have been used? And let's have a conversation about that. That we've been missing uh, from Fox's uh, broadcast. Let me think of anything else Kartik that mentioned. I mean, the the commentating, um, Stuart Holden and John Strong have been better. Uh, other than that Argentina-Iceland remark he made. I think since then, they've been fine. Uh, JP and um, Tony Miola have been okay. Um, nothing special. I mean, I think that's the point that we're at that right now is two weeks into this broadcast uh, of the World Cup. is we've A lot of us, myself included, have gotten used to listening to these guys. And um, yes, I'm missing the, the John Champions of the world and, and uh, some of the other commentators from around the world. But we're so used to it now that I think a lot of us have accepted it. Uh, for those who haven't, I think a lot of us have moved on to Telemundo or are switching back and forth. Um, Ali Wagner, um, I, know, I know you've heard a lot of good things about her. Um, she is a smart person, but um, oh God, it, I guess the biggest issue is that she doesn't speak in the vernacular of a co-commentator, um, which... It, which is okay. I mean, it's a different style. It's a completely different style than, than a normal co-commentator, and that's fine. But it's just some of the things she says, like, for example, um, in the Iran game, she was talking about uh, Iran are not going down lightly um, instead of saying that Iran's not going down easily. I mean, it, it, it's picky stuff. So it, it's just a different style. Um, I think she's gotten better as the tournament's gone along. Um, but in some ways, I think Derek Ray is carrying her. Um, and, and maybe this is the experience that she needs and maybe she'll get better and better. Uh, Kelly Smith on, um, on Fox's broadcast has been in the very, <clears throat> in the very, very beginning. She was a breath of fresh air coming onto the set, uh, to replace Hernan Crespo. Um, but since then, I mean, it, she's really worn on me. Um, a lot of it is just pronunciations. A lot of it is just basic stuff. I mean, uh, uh, she mispronounced uh, uh, Gonzalo Higuain's name. She mispronounced uh, Samuel Umtiti. Uh, I mean, these are just kind of, you mean, well-known, world-class players. No, 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 no offense, but that happens with British commentators a lot, where they mispronounce Latin names. Yeah, but but to me, but to me, then, but, but to me, then, it, 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 to me, it tells me. Now, this may not be, may not be true, but it tells me that she's not watching other leagues from around the world. That she's just well, watching the, the Premier League. And maybe some women's league, and, and that's about it. So she's not watching La Liga. She's not watching Serie A. She's not watching the Bundesliga. Uh, she's just butchering the names. I mean, all, all all the time, over and over and over again. I mean, it's just that's just. And, and then her analysis is really pedestrian, really, really pedestrian. I mean, if you listen to what she says, she says the almost like a Warren Barton of old. She says the <laughs> right things, but if you listen closely in terms of what she's saying, um, there's really. She's just saying words, just saying things just to fill the broadcast. I mean, it's really, really weak. Not not, not just to pick on, on Kelly and, and Ali, but, um, I mean, because Hudink is, is, is poor. I mean, he's really, again, again I don't know. It, Lalas is probably the only one 
that d- is doing well, other than Cl- Clarence Seedorf. But Lalas is a lot of hot takes. It's it's you mean not again not deep dive analysis. I do understand though, in in, in defense of Lalas, that he has shifted in the from the first few days of being Messi Ronaldo superstar hot take, which is what he is, right? What he has for right. so many years. Um, on all the different networks, uh, ESPN previously, now Fox, being a little more analytical, although not fully analytical. He's not going to give you the kind of analysis, let's say, an Eric Winaldo would, or even if they had brought uh, a Keith Costigan or Brian Dunseth. I think ultimately, you know, their stat, their, their staff decisions, even internally, about who were in the running for, to be part of this World Cup team uh, has, uh, has, has doomed them. But uh, that he's getting a little more... Um, analytical because there's else on set that's doing it. So while we can praise Lawless and say, okay, he, he's made the transition like any good uh, central defender would, which he was as a player, to, uh, to, to, to adjust his playing style or commentary style to the talent around him, uh, it's a reflection of what's missing. You know, it's a guy like a, a central defender, Lawless, going up and having to score goals on set pieces because nothing else is happening yeah. uh, on set for, for them. And that's... Uh, that's a reflection of their hiring decisions more than anything. And, and that's the thing, though, too, is that uh, we're missing that Martin O'Neill. We're missing that playmaker because Martin O'Neill on that set changes everything. I mean, it yeah. really kind of puts uh, Clarence Seedorf gets the best out of him. Uh, I mean, a debate back and forth. Lalas, you I mean, now has to change his game a little bit and, and, and be a little bit more analytical. Um, yeah, and without without someone like like a Martin O'Neill, it's just very humdrum. Very. Well, you need boring. someone like a Balik that pushes Lawless into a position where I remember the Euros in 2012, where Balik was so uh, pro-German that it pushed Lawless to this position. This this guy who's made part of his living as being anti-English into this. Yeah, you know what? I like the way England's playing, just to annoy the German. I mean, there were <laughs> some of those moments. And that's very basic. I mean, we, we always laud ESPN for their tactical analysis and, oh, how great Bob Lee was and how great Mike Tarika were as, as hosts of, of World Cups. But uh, there were basic, like, raw things like that where the button would be pushed and Lalos would come out on top because his button was being pushed by Balik or being pushed by whoever else was on set, Ruben Nisroy, whoever else um, is there. And I, I sense, again, I haven't watched Fox, but I talked to plenty of people who do that that's not happening. Lalos, to his credit, has, has adapted his commentary style or what he's saying on set to the deficiencies in the rest of their team. But again, their hiring decisions were poor, uh, to say the least. Right. Yeah. And with Balak and Lalas, when they were on, on, on those Euros, it was good television. It was something yeah, you tuned yeah. into to see what, what were they, you mean, were they, because actually I wrote a story at the time. I, I was like, they seem to hate each other. And, and it's funny too, because ESPN's uh, PR person contacted me after that story and said, no, 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 no. They, they're, they're really good friends. Just they like to debate each other, and and that's what we're missing with with this Fox crew. Is just it's all, I mean, it's all too nice and very. <laughs> so so for for you, Kartik, and for listeners, if you haven't been watching Fox's uh, studio set or studio analysis, you're not missing anything. Not not a single thing. Not one thing I can say. Not one redeeming factor, other than highlights and highlights you can watch on YouTube or where, wherever you wanna, you want to watch them. I have watched a little bit of BBC and ITV, not as much as I would like. Um, BBC, every time I've tuned in, had some great analysis. I do want to go back to, um, from a couple of nights ago, I think with Alan Shearer, went on a rant about VAR. 
uh, and a lot of criticisms about VAR. Um, I, I haven't had a chance to watch that, but it's supposed to be really, really good, good, uh, good analysis. Uh, and, and again, we've been missing that, and that's something I would lo- would have loved to have seen on Fox, but it's not going to happen with the current crew. Now, Kartik, before we move on, uh, I want to do mention our, our sponsor for this show, which is uh, SeatGeek. Uh, buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, and there is a better way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to, to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for last-minute deals, uh, planning a night out with friends, or need a, uh, to find the perfect gift. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like uh, being, in, being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can instantly find seats. I actually just use SeatGeek uh, to look for tickets for my kids this week to potentially go see some of the International Champions Cup games in person in Miami. SeatGeek is designed to help you uh, with your ticket buying experience and making it easier than ever. It saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Uh, Just download the SeatGeek app, and then enter, uh, enter promo code WSTPOD today. And that's one word. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first Seek Geek purchase. Now, Kartik, uh, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, La Liga has successfully completed the partial sale of their uh, international TV rights or their TV rights in general for the 2019-2020 seasons through 2021-2022. Uh, that's three seasons, by the way, that package. The winning bids for the rights have increased 50% nationally in Spain and 30% internationally. This works out to $1.3 billion for the league each season. Uh, Spanish companies Telefonica and MediaPro were the successful bidders, uh, MediaPro for the international. In the next year, MediaPro is expected to begin the process of opening up the bidding for rights to La Liga in the United States. Watch this space, Chris. Uh, there's various speculation to how uh, this could play out. But La Liga, we've seen BN really kind of elevate the product and the and the uh, presence of La Liga in this country. Also, obviously, the league's very good, right? Uh, arguably the best league in the world. So uh, there is a lot of speculation that, that um, various things could happen with the rights uh, this time around. And I also want to point out that there's also talk that this could be, um, there could be some sort of split between streaming and TV because... This is going to be the first contract uh, in this era where we're seeing the transition happen a little more quickly from um, over the top, uh, from, from TV to over the top uh, type uh, services. Yeah, and that's the thing, though. I mean, for BN Sports, especially, I mean, BN Sports needs La Liga. If BN Sports lost La Liga, I don't think that channel would, would continue in the United States. I mean, you think back to Fox Soccer Channel, uh, when it was Fox Soccer Channel. After Fox had lost the, li- the rights to the Premier League, uh, to NBC, what, like, what was it, five years ago? Yeah, it was, in, it was in October of 2012 when they lost the rights, and then 
by August of 2013, the, the network was gone. Exactly, exactly. And, and that could happen to be in sports. Um, I mean, that is the crown jewel. Um, so it's in, incredibly, incredibly important then for being sports to continue with the La Liga rights, even if it's for a, a certain package of that. It doesn't have to be all of them. Uh, but you've got Univision. Univision losing out on the World Cup uh, rights uh, for 2018, 2022, 2026. Uh, Univision, of course, has the Champions League in Spanish as well as the Europa League. But for them, La Liga would be it. La Liga would be a great way to make up for um, lost advertising dollars and lost um, viewers, sus- subscribers. Uh, so La Liga is something that w- they would love to have. Maybe it becomes, I mean, the Spanish rights go to Univision and the English rights go to be in sports. So then again, I mean, there's yeah. o- other English le- language networks that would love to have La Liga too. So it, this is going to be a big one. And um, we'll have to wait and see in, in the next year. very quietly, I, and I, I think... Some people may have taken their eyes off the ball, Chris, because they lost uh, the FIFA rights and uh, World Cup rights, and, and the, the the view of some might be that they're just going the way that uh, that um, uh, ESPN is with with uh, club rights. They're very slowly building up a portfolio of rights, uh, Copa America is included, right? That uh, potentially that 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 uh, I think are going to make them incredibly formidable. I. Uh, the Champions League being the big one, but I could see them grabbing a piece of La Liga. I could see them grabbing a piece of, they've obviously grabbed a piece of Bundesliga now. They could continue to do this uh, and very quietly also bleed the ratings for English language, um, for the English language side, because Univision is incredibly accessible compared to most of the English language networks that cover soccer. And that's the thing about uh, Telemundo and this World Cup is that for those of us, you, you and myself included, and a lot of the listeners who have gotten used to watching the World Cup or watching watching soccer in Spanish, um, to me, it's no big deal. It's it's in yeah. some ways more entertaining. It, it's 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 a better atmosphere. The sound is better. All these things. Now, next season, are we more likely to start watching the Champions League on Univision? Probably, yeah. So, um, so with even though Univision, I'm sure, is incredibly upset that they've lost the World Cup rights. Uh, having Telemundo do, uh, doing such a great job with it actually, I think, will help out Univision in, in the long run. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to one to watch. Now, moving on, uh, the U.S. rights to Serie A still haven't been sold, uh, even though the season is scheduled to kick off on August 18th. According to my sources, Turner Sports and ESPN are in the hunt to try to win the rights. If they win, Turner Sports would put the Serie A on Bleacher Report Live, their streaming product. Likewise, if ESPN wins the rights, the games would be added to ESPN+. Plus. So we're now, <laughs> we've had TV wars in the, in the past before kind of for TV rights. Now we're in the stage of having streaming wars, whether it's uh, ESPN, Turner Sports. Um, there's other companies out there too. I mean, Verizon has uh, Go90. Um, uh, Perform has DAZN. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of streaming. At DAZN. Packages. We talked about this uh, potentially when John Skipper joined the zone a month ago, right? It's only been a month yep. or, or six weeks ago. Uh, they are beginning to, to collect rights in other sports suddenly since Skipper got there. Not surprisingly, uh, Bellator MMA being the most recent one this past week. I, uh, I think they're making a play in soccer soon. I, I, they, they haven't launched fully in the U.S. They will by the end of the year. Uh, look out. Maybe, maybe La Liga. That's throw uh, throw throw perform and and disown in that uh, conversation as well. Absolutely. 
Um, moving on, Fox Sports has moved Monday's round of 16 game between Brazil and Mexico from FS1 to the over-the-air Fox network. This is a very, very good move. Uh, I think this, this should get pretty good ratings. And uh, one thing we have not credited Fox with enough, maybe, Chris, is the number of games they've shown over the year in this World Cup, which has been an enormous number. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's been really uh, easy to watch for sure. So moving on to TV ratings and speaking of Fox, through match day 13, um, so up, up until now, the, the World Cup is averaging 2.0 uh, million, uh, 2 million viewers across Fox and FS1, which is, and this comes from Fox directly, which is an increase of 1% from the complete group stage average of the last four World Cups, including U.S. matches. So last <laughs> last four World Cups is like what? That two, includes two thousand two. Two, yeah. Two thousand two. Two thousand odd timing. Yeah, so that would have been uh, South, uh, South Korea and Japan, which was. I mean, those games were on the East Coast. Were like what? I think three o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. Yeah, like seven US o'clock. Portugal. I remember getting sending the alarm, getting up at two thirty in the morning. Uh, that I remember distinctly. Although I think the Germany Ireland game was like at seven or eight in the morning. Yeah, there were some games that were, but the late games that we're getting at two now and got at four in Brazil uh, Eastern Time were at like seven a.m. Uh, yeah. So, so from the TV ratings um, from World Cups that are in pretty friendly time zones. You would look at 2006 in Germany, I mean, 2010 um, in South Africa, 2014 in Brazil. I mean, those were more kind of uh, user-friendly uh, time zones. So we, so based on that, we know that um, Fox's average thus far for the group stage is down. Uh, no surprise there uh, with the U.S. not in it. But overall, the numbers have been good. I mean, we, we're averaging, I believe it's um, over 4 million viewers uh, between Fox and Telemundo combined for the World Cup, which is decent. Um, yeah, yeah, which is definitely decent. And and the way that these games are heating up, um, I mean, the Brazil game, I mean, all these games. I mean, there have been so many fantastic games, and, and the TV numbers are pointing into the right direction. Mexico <laughs> having a way, by a miracle, to actually proceed to the, the round of 16. Uh, Fox and Telemundo must have been sweating on that one because in that second half, I'm sure they wanted Germany to lose that game because if Mexico had been knocked out of that tournament, there goes Telemundo's uh, you mean, and Fox's, the, the one team that, that will generate the most amount of viewers. So, which is strange for Fox, though, too, because they have the Bundesliga rights and they were probably saying, like, hey, come on, come on, Germany, lose this game because we want Mexico to proceed. And, and it, that's exactly what happened. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think... Though for Fox, the challenge, you mentioned the Bundesliga. I think the Bundesliga in general, there's going to be a lot of discussion about coming up in the next few weeks because uh, the, the, the reality is that there has been no Bundesliga team that's advanced beyond, I think, the quarterfinals of the Europa League since 2014. We have consistently seen Bundesliga teams, the top Bundesliga teams beaten by Spanish or, or English teams in Europe or French teams, Monaco knocking out Borussia Dortmund. Uh, last year in, in Champions League. Bayern Munich's been eliminated by a Spanish team in, in four successive years. Yet, I was at Sportel, where the international partnership uh, head of Borussia Dortmund said that La Liga was a two-team league. And I, I walked out of the room when he said that. I thought, this is ridiculous. I mean, you're a one-team league, and your one team isn't even as good as the top two teams in Spain, or even the top three teams, really, in my opinion. Atleti, I think, has been a superior to Bayern Munich the last four years. Um, they're going to have to get their head screwed on straight about their league 
and their league because he was also making comments about how Bundesliga was overtaking Premier League in Asia and all of this sort of stuff. They're gonna have to get their heads set, set on straight about their league mm-hmm. and about their national team product, and that affects Fox and Fox internationally, Chris. Uh, and they have two more years left on this deal as far as showing the games in the States. We'll see what happens after that. We'll see what happens yeah. to the Bundesliga as a product in the United States. Um, I know there has been a lot written about the Bundesliga's commitment to try and conquer the U.S. market. It might be a day late, a dollar short. We'll see. Um, and that impacts Fox. And that impact, in fact, Fox's continued coverage of the sport because that's the really, other than MLS, um, and MLS, they split the rights, obviously, with ESPN. That is the one uh, club, kind of high-profile club uh, thing they have left on their own is the Bundesliga. Yeah, I, I, I love watching the Bundesliga. Um, the the biggest issue I, I've had since day one is that it cl- just clashes with the Premier League in terms of the kickoff times. And we've seen from uh, this past season, with some of the games being shown on Mondays, the resistance within Germany to from the fans, the supporters groups, protesting, trying to stop matches being played on Mondays. We know that things are not going to change that much in, in Germany. So I think at this point in time, I think unless like, all of a sudden like there's like, this huge uh, factory line of Americans going over to Germany, um, which I don't see. I mean, yes, there are some. But I think we've reached almost like the high point of the Bundesliga at this yeah. point uh, in America. I don't see it getting any bigger than what it is currently um, with the current setup with, with Bayern Munich just I mean, winning the league. And the thing that we had seen previously from Germany in in international competitions is guys like Miroslav Klose and uh, Lukas Podolski were able to take poor club form uh, and not playing well at the club level. Even a guy like Thomas Hitzelsberger, who I know we've seen in English language media, um, you know, not play well at the club level, then go and put on a Germany shirt and be great in the World Cup. I said before the tournament to some people privately, Muller has had a bad season. Uh, Boateng has had a bad season as far as I'm concerned. I think Ozil has had a poor season. I think Draxler has been horrible when he's played for PSG. I kind of like Timo Werner. Uh, What's Mario Gomez doing on the team? I asked all these questions privately, but then wasn't brave enough to articulate them publicly. Uh, That club form... That poor club form, a lot of it from Bundesliga players, and now obviously I mentioned Draxler and Ozil, they're not, uh, spilled into the tournament. And, um, you know, for me, I look at the Germany squad, and I like maybe three guys on that squad. I like Kimmich, I like uh, uh, Kroos, and I like Werner as high-level players, Mm -hmm. really high-level players. I know there are other guys uh, that are Gundogan, Sule, who are okay. But, um, yeah, I think that that reflects on their league, to be honest with you. And that is a, and you know, there are always these judgments made about MLS when the U.S. crashed out of tournaments. There are always these judgments made about England when, uh, or the Premier League when England crashed out of tournaments. So we can have this discussion, and I think it's a, it's a potential problem for Fox going forward. Yeah. So speaking of uh, TV ratings, um, I'm in the process of actually uh, compiling all of the TV ratings for the World Cup up until now, which is a lot of numbers. So I'm going through those. And um, I'll give you a heads up. So definitely check out worldsoccertalk.com. We'll have those um, we'll have those stories there. But one of the numbers that came through was, um, which is a great number for Major League Soccer, and it was over a million uh, viewers. It was uh, 1. Million, 1.07 million for Atlanta against Portland on Fox, on Big Fox, on Sunday afternoon. Uh, this was immediately after the Poland-Columbia uh, World Cup game, uh, which ended at about 4 o'clock Eastern time. 
Uh, the coverage of Atlanta against uh, Portland was at 4.30 Eastern time. Uh, so those 30 minutes in between, uh, Fox had the, the highlights of the Poland-Columbia game and, and just getting viewers ready uh, to, to continue watching uh, more soccer. So the Poland-Columbia game averaged 4.38 million viewers. And then the MLS game that followed it had 1.07 million viewers, uh, which is a 75% decrease from the Poland Columbia game to Major League Soccer, and and it's World Cup, so I mean you know that there's going to be I mean millions tuning in to watch a game like that, whether they're Colombia fans, Poland, Polish fans, or just fans of soccer. Um, so that that's MLS's strategy is just uh, do some these seemingly double headers, which is a, a TV double header, having the World Cup game and then right after it having the Major League Soccer game, and then hoping that. Uh, a significant portion of those viewers will stick, uh, stick, stick around and watch the Major League Soccer game. Kartik, did you catch this one, the Atlanta-Portland game? I did. I did. I caught, caught, caught portions of it. So I almost threw up watching it. I mean, on, honestly, just from motion sickness. Um, so I guess all the Fox crew are in Russia. And that's just the, the TV angles. The, 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 they zoomed in really, really closely to the players and it seemed to be just very few cameras in the stadium, and just the way that they zoomed in, zoomed out, it was like kind of very herky jerky. Uh, it, it, it made me feel sick. I don't, I don't know if you had that same experience. Um, I, I don't. I didn't have that same experience, but I did notice that the production was being skimped on. Right. That right. was my take on it, of uh, which I guess would apply the camera angles too, right? Uh, but I, it seemed like a very kind of like. Uh, this this may seem uh, extreme, but so I'm trying to think of the right analogy. So this this does this does sound extreme, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Like one that infomercial that follows a big a big uh, event or a big product, or that uh, kind of um, uh, knee jerk uh, reality TV show with a live audience that isn't well produced that follows some sort of big event to keep to try and hold the audience. It wasn't produced at the level that it it should have been. I get that, that Fox has got all their, most of their, probably their top people production-wise in in Russia. Um, but that was the feel I got. And now that you mentioned the camera angles, yeah, that was part of that production. My observation was that the production was just very low level. It was like uh, 10 years ago, Fox. Yeah, and it could have been like a whole bunch of American football um, TV camera crew operators that are not used to. We don't know to... how to shoot yeah. Exactly, exactly, which is completely different. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. We've got a lot of feedback from you, the, the listeners. Uh, the first is from Daniel McCurry uh, uh, via email. He says, love the pod. Thanks for all your good work. Uh, watching Argentina-Croatia, the Fox play-by-play guy mentioned uh, Subasic having several shutouts of late. I know, I knew that he was talking about, I, I know what he was talking about, but never heard the term uh, used in soccer before isn't the normal term clean sheet uh, during a VAR review also they brought in uh, Joe Macknick to give his opinion he basically said it's a tough game and the ref is trying his hardest to contain it why waste our, <laughs> our time with analysis like that I understand the theory of having a guy like him available but his commentary is useless thanks for letting me vent about Fox yeah, the, the, the Joe Macknick um, it's very uh, inconsistent at times actually he gives some good analysis but other time they're bringing him in because he's in in the IBC um, International Broadcast Center in Moscow. So he's watching all the games and he's just available there. So if they want to go to him, they'll go to him and ask for his opinion. Uh, most of the time, it's 
something common sense that you wouldn't really have to go to him. At times, there have been times when he has provided some some good analysis. Uh, I'd say that's probably about um, of the games I've watched, probably about maybe like twenty to thirty percent of the time, is he's, he's offering some good analysis. That's that's you uh, mean um, basically enriching uh, the actual game broadcast. Next up is uh, R. Feiss, and he sent this in through email. While watching the Mexico-Korea game on Fox TV, one of the announcers, I believe it was Joe Macknick, uh, commented during a throw-in, quote, there was no homophobic check. Can someone please explain what he meant by this? Clearly, this is not an expression in the soccer vernacular that I'm familiar with. I think think what he meant was um, there's no homophobic chant, uh, from Mexico whenever there's a, kind of a, a goal kick for the other team. I think that's what he meant. Uh, I, yeah. I, I don't remo- recall that specific um, uh, time when he mentioned that. I was probably watching uh, Telemundo, but uh, I think that's what he meant in regards to that. Uh, Jose Rodriguez on Twitter says that uh, ESPN has been a great way to watch the World Cup every night. Uh, however, being sports has, to me, been by far the best show for daily analysis for the day's matches. And I, I've heard that from a, a bunch of different people too, that um, the the extra World Cup edition, uh, which is nightly on BN Sports, has been fantastic um, with kind of all the guys, you mean Gary Bailey and Ray Hudson, et cetera, uh, having a, a good discussion, good analysis, uh, analytical discussion. Uh, I, I keep on missing it, but I, I need to watch that and see how that is. Uh, Brett Engstrom uh, via email says, Again, the announcing for Mexico Korea is a terrible. It's terrible. Sound down again. This guy should not be doing World Cup games. He's an amateur. Uh, he's talking about uh, Jorge Perez Navarro. Um, who's <laughs> you either love him or you hate him. I mean, this is a guy that um, he's he's entertaining. He's comical, um, but he's not your typical soccer commentator. So you mean so, some? I, I've heard had a lot of feedback on on WorldSoccerTalk.com in the comments section. People love him, and then he, a whole bunch of other people saying I actually hate him. And it's just this style. It's uh, you mean a kickoff. He's like it's soccer time. And um, what was the one goal? What one goal he scored? Uh, yeah, boom goes the dynamite. I mean, just all these catchphrases, and just his style. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> Let me say that for the least. Um, Ed Hannigan via email says, are you guys going to do a comprehensive re- review of Fox's coverage? I appreciate, appreciate your affinity for Della Camera and his dedication to the sport all these years, but the whole sideline, endline, left side, right side, going long vocabulary drives me nuts. Fox seems to have really done this on the cheap. I'm okay with uh, John Strong and Stuart Holden. They seem to get better each match. I agree. Uh, Derek Ray has carried Ali Wagner. Uh, Followill has improved. Lalas is pompous. Uh, I'm surprised Costigan and jo- Ian Joy are out of the picture. Uh, they don't spend enough camera time after the match with handshakes and reactions. Too quick to go to the studio and or commercial. Uh, he says, you know my feelings on Rob Stone, a hustler waiting for a full-time American sports gig. Uh, back to JP, wouldn't you think there would be a slight influence of Tyler, Dark, Parry, etc.? Uh, it's like he's doing a hockey game on radio. Oddly enough, he has been quite good at doing hockey previously. So there's a lot to take in there. Um, uh, yeah. it, I, I, the Ian Joy thing, actually, I, I do want to make a correction. So in last week's podcast, I was saying, like, why isn't Fox using him? He's in Russia. He's available. He's one of the hosts. 
Um, so he's actually in Los Angeles. They didn't send him out to, to Russia. Ah, okay. And he's been he's available as a backup. So he's been doing um, backup to Rachel Benetta, Benetta on the so, Twitter show as well as the uh, World Cup uh, So you got Joy, uh, Hostigan, uh, Dunseth, Winalda. Uh, you know, we could just keep rattling off the names of guys that they've, they've left behind. I mean, I, I would actually throw uh, Russ Fletcher, follow, uh, Russ, know, Ray Wagner. Followable in on there because I think Followable might be really good um, on site at the stadiums. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would definitely put uh, I would send Mark Followable to to Russia. He's been good. He's been really surprisingly. I was not a fan before, well, but he's, he's a been good. Professional. So there's there's kind of a difference. So you know you're bringing in like what sometimes when they bring in guys to soccer, you're bringing in kind of low level. Uh, uh, people who cover other sports. I'm not, I'm not trying to take shots at any particular individual, but uh, follow will from what I understand from people who've watched him do basketball, he's a really good announcer, really good basketball announcer. So my sense was, okay, once he got the grasp of soccer, if he embraced it, he'd probably be pretty good. I've liked him actually when he's called things I've watched. I haven't watched this world cup with him, but I he's, hear, he's got the style. I he's very good from people. Yeah. His commentary style and his pacing and, uh, uh, even kind of raising his voice when the excitement uh, get, get gets crazy and when there's a goal scoring opportunity and kind of uh, and then kind of coming down from that and then kind of be more mellow during the rest of the broadcast is really good and, and actually him and Warren Barton which everybody knows I'm not a big Warren Barton fan but the two of them together work really well and um, I would say, I don't know I mean I love Derek Ray um, but I would say Mark Followell and, and Warren Barton actually together uh, as a team uh, doing better uh, than Derek Gray and Ali Wagner. Um, so, I mean, Fox is not going to send any, anyone out to Russia, I'm sure. Uh, it, would be gr- it would be great, but um, they're probably going to stick with uh, JP and Tony and um, John Strong and uh, Stuart Holden, which, which as we enter the round of 16 stages, it's more likely that we'll have those guys doing the commentating and we won't hear as much of the, the Mark followers and... Um, uh, Glenn Davis has, has been doing pretty well too. Kobe Jones has been surprisingly good. Um, so actually, they, they've 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 been trying hard. Definitely, the commentating isn't the biggest issue by any means. I mean, the Jorge Perez Navarro uh, accepted, but the uh, the commentating hasn't been the issue to me. It's been the studio analysis. And uh, yeah. anyway, so good points there from Ed. Uh, moving on to Hadis. Um, and he sent this in through email. He says, I hope you're enjoying the World Cup as I am. I was following the World Cup in Europe, in Italy and France for the, for, for the last two weeks. And the vibe there is so different than here in the U.S. I am now back in the U.S. I have some questions for you. What are the rules of VAR? Okay, well, we, we've done that already. So we'll skip that section. Um, and what else does he say? Blah, 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 blah. He says, considering FIFA's past corrupt practices, I am having doubts about the fairness of VAR. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely kind of uh, a deep dive topic there. I think that, I think they're trying to make the right decisions. Um, and they're, they're it, it, it is difficult because at the end of the day, it's very subjective. So you, it's and, and, and each referee is not consistent with the other. So on some calls, handballs are a good instance of that is whether it's ball to hand or hand to ball. I mean, we've seen, I mean, some of the. You mean yeah. the, the handballs in other leagues around the world where that's a definite penalty? 
you mean? And then, and then woke up. It's been like no, no, no. That's fine. It's it was accidental. I think where there's the distinction is so Carlos Sanchez for Colombia. We're, tape, we're we're recording this by the way for our listeners, just as we're about to see Colombia play Senegal. Uh, so we don't know the results of that game. Carlos Sanchez for Colombia sticks his hand out. It impedes a clear goal scoring opportunity. That's when you have the double jeopardy of a sending off and a penalty. Okay, so that's a clear, uh, clear move with some degree of intent. Now, in other situations, I think it's pretty clear handballs that are not getting called that people say, oh, well, that's incidental. No, but it still affects the play. Now, do you give do you give the the the, the offender a yellow card or a red card? No, uh, it's incidental. But if it affects the flow of play and a potential goal scoring opportunity unnaturally you have to award a penalty we've seen chris in this tournament I mean, you, you brought up far earlier i decided to pass at that point but now you, you've hit on one of the bugaboos of the tournament for me we're seeing inconsistencies into what is being called handballs what is being reviewed how once the var is being implemented um like for example the mexican uh, chicharito i thought by the rule of the law you know, you don't give him a yellow card. You don't send him off. That's a clear handball. Sweden should have had a penalty. Doesn't matter. They end up winning 3-0 anyway. But um, I, I think there's just been selective interpretations of, of, of uh, that handball rule in particular. And it depends on the specific official, that specific day, and probably what lead that official right. officiates in on a weekly basis outside of these international tournaments. Yeah. Yeah, to me to me actually the the rule about handball is probably the biggest rule in soccer that needs to be changed. Um, needs needs to be kind of a clear cut, a more clear cut uh, rule in re- in regards to that that uh, worldwide we can all say okay yeah, we all agree to that. That makes that makes sense. Um, because there is kind of that you I mean there's also that intent. I mean, did that player intend to use his hand? It's very subjective because sometimes I mean, the, the way that things move so quickly, it's difficult to tell whether that was on purpose or if that, if that was just kind of a, a dangling arm that had to be that happened to be in that uh, uh, area. Yeah, that, that, that's a big one. So uh, Raquel uh, Guzman uh, sent this in through email. She says, big fan of the podcast and your website. Uh, the World Cup coverage has been fantastic. Um, something I've been more self-aware of this cup uh, compared to the other is how pundits, sports commentators, soccer media and social media and fans are viewing the non-hierarchy blue blood teams. I've noticed many are quick to criticize the new or non-hierarchy teams uh, when they underperform. People will question why they're in this cup or will use the phrase, they didn't deserve to be here. Yet when a hierarchy slash blue blood team uh, generates similar underperforming results, people will be quick to rationalize. I find it crazy that in 2018 this is still happening, but it is. And it's incredibly annoying. My questions to you and Kartik, are you noticing this as well? And if so, what are your feelings on the double standard uh, rhetoric and views? Thank you. Also, uh, well, actually, let me have you answer that one first. uh, Yeah, I I agree with Raquel. I think there is a double standard. Um, I think that there is a a, there's I would even say there might be a double standard when it comes to application of VAR between blue blood teams and uh and uh, outsiders or, or right. you know, insurgent type teams. Uh, so that that's the first thing. I think that there is a clear, she is on to something. There is a clear bias in the commentary. And in not only in the commentary on you know, Telemundo, Fox, whatever, but in the articles that are written in the English language. 
Yeah, I think uh, maybe not at the Guardian. The Guardian goes overboard to try and placate like the smaller teams and mm -hmm. African and Asian teams. But I, I've noticed this. I think there's a there's a clear bias. Well, yeah, there's a couple of different things here. Like one is like, for example, if you're watching Mexico and you've got Jorge Perez Navarro commentating, um, that commentary is going to be extremely pro Mexican and. Uh, in many ways, condescending or derogatory to other teams, especially smaller nations. And we've seen that in some of the broadcasts that uh, he's done thus far. Um, but he's playing to that audience. We see that when Mexico plays on Univision in uh, qualifiers, or actually when the U.S. plays on Fox. Same thing. We've seen that. Right, right. And we've seen that too, I think, even in um, I think in the Colombia game against uh, Japan, I think was one of the instances to where um, Jorge Perez Navarro... Oh, but I mean, the, 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 the handling of Asian teams, particularly from people who want to bolster CONCACAF, even on Twitter, has been unbelievable during this World Cup. Just the, probably the biggest bugaboo of the World Cup for me. I know it's set our former colleague, Nipun Chopra, really off, uh, beginning with the first day of the tournament with Saudi Arabia. But the, the, um, the attitudes and views towards teams qualifying from Asia, which, by the way, uh, have averaged three points, if you cumulatively, and that's including Australia's really poor performance in this tournament. Saudi Arabia got three points. South Korea beat the defending world champions. Japan has had a good World Cup, uh, relatively speaking. Iran is very unlucky that they're not in the next stage, or very unlucky they didn't win their group. Um, I think those, Korea. those nations... Korea, yeah. I think Huge. those nations have acquitted, acquitted themselves pretty well, but there's been this built-in bias in any kind of analysis of them. And uh, yeah. well, uh, I, I, I've seen it very clearly. Yeah, I think... I think if, and going back to Raquel's question, I mean, the, the, to me, the commentary, uh, which is really more... I mean, sorry, I'm sorry. The, the analysis. So whether it's written analysis or, or spoken analysis, to me, it's all about um, just um, kind of comfort levels. Is, is very lazy analysis. So if Germany has a bad World Cup, uh, I think it's easier for the analyst, uh, writer, or, or a studio analyst to to really kind of, you mean, uh, to downplay it, to rationalize it. You mean maybe it was they had a bad day or whatever it was. Versus, you mean, if it's um, Australia crashing out or or if it's you mean kind of uh, Japan doing well, etc. It's it's that can be it's easy. They they don't have the knowledge base to actually really talk about it intelligently. So I think in many ways then too that uh, that's part of it where they'll just downplay uh, the the smaller nations or the smaller teams and just because that's something they don't really know much about. So for them to to downplay it is easier for them. I think that's my personal opinion in regards to Raquel's question. But but yeah, I have noticed it. She says uh, she goes on to say, "P.S. Um, this came about for me as I see so many U.S. fans." complaining how the U.S. deserves a spot more than Panama or Costa Rica, given how they played. This is frustrating as both teams deserved and earned the right to be here. Also, it seems FIFA and the soccer world encourage up-and-coming countries to get into this tournament, yet when they come in and don't perform well, many in those uh, circles will say they should not be here or don't deserve to be here. It's such a can't-win situation. Yeah, and I think there's a there's a valid uh, yeah. points uh, from Raquel. No, I think she's spot on. I, I, it's the same. It's been probably besides VAR and VAR. It's the application and implementation of it. It's probably been the biggest bugaboo of the tournament for me. And why? Uh, I should throw this out here now. The whole issue of the Asian countries versus Concacaf is the reason why. If you follow me on Twitter, I've been tweeting less and less about the World Cup the last few days because it's like any discussion 
uh, then, and hopefully once we get to the knockout stages, it'll be different and, and I can resume my normal service during matches. But any discussion has inevitably, if you're tweeting during a game about an Asian team, is about how the U.S. would be better. Or this shows how terrible the U.S. is. So it's both extremes. And then um, uh, it's also then any other discussion about um, nations underperforming, even if it's blue blood nations, like Spain and Germany, it's, well, you know, if the U.S. had been in this World Cup, they would have been great. The only thing that, I, and I said this on this show months ago, Chris, maybe the best thing would be that the U.S. didn't qualify, then we wouldn't hear all the propaganda, we wouldn't have to go on uh, uh, overstating uh, and overhyping the ability of certain American players and the national team to compete. only thing worse than them being there and dealing with that has been them not being there and the insecurity of U.S. fans and uh, some, uh, probably some Fox commentators, Wallace started this before, um, the uh, uh, the World Cup when I I, I had my infamous, now infamous discussion on Twitter with him about Japan versus the U.S. Japan I think has done quite well this World Cup. Uh, they haven't you know we're recording this before their game, but um, and it's just continued from there, right? That there's just this insecurity about the U.S. is in the global game. So then that comes in to the idea to disparage Iran, disparage Morocco, disparage Tunisia, disparage Japan, South Korea. Saudi Arabia, anyone who they who they think the U.S. somehow uh, automatically is entitled to be better than, and countries who, in this World Cup, uh, all of them maybe with a few exceptions, exceptions would probably be the CONCACAF countries, right? Panama, uh, the uh, have acquitted themselves quite nicely in this World Cup. So this is a major, major bugaboo for me. I'm sorry uh, to the listeners out there. Raquel just kind of she's she's spot on, and she she kind of pushed my button there with yeah. what she's talking about. Yeah, I, I've been okay with the U.S. not being in the World Cup. Of course, I would have loved for them to have qualified. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, those teams that are in the World Cup deserve to be there because they they I mean they won the points necessary to make it into the World Cup over a long period of time. The World Cup qualifying isn't like a two week tournament like it is for like some youth tournaments, etc. Uh, the U.S. Uh, over the course this this started in early 2016 when they couldn't beat Guatemala when they lost to Guatemala and Guatemala they you know. Had they been in the same group as Panama, sub-hex, they might not have even gotten out of that group. If they had been in place of Costa Rica there and they had been playing Jamaica, uh, Haiti, uh, Jamaica and Haiti, who they struggled with in the Gold Cup immediately prior to that, and, and uh, Panama. So uh, the U.S. didn't qualify because they failed over a two-year qualifying process, not because they had one bad game in Trinidad and Tobago. Right, exactly. Yeah, and for me personally, I, I've enjoyed the World Cup. I mean, all 32 teams, it's been a fantastic at, uh, atmosphere and uh, for the most part, some really brilliant games and um, really any discussion about the US and deserving to be there and being better than other teams, I've avoided. I mean, you'll, you'll notice actually on worldsoccertalk.com, we haven't written any of those stories because we just want to focus on the teams that are there and... Um, the debate about the U.S. men's national team and all the improvements necessary will come at a later date. I mean, for me, this is all about the 32 teams, which is why we entitled uh, we, we titled one of the podcasts going into the World Cup that the World Cup is bigger than the U.S. team, which it is. So, so that, that's why we've kind of purposely, I've purposely avoided even just dis- discussing it or bringing it up, just because it's it's a uh, it's a, a no-win topic. I mean, it's uh, it, it's not really healthy topic. I, I don't believe. So, last question or last feedback from the listeners. This is from Alan Huffman uh, through email. He says, with the increase in online streaming services such as ES- ESPN Plus and the the increase in cord cutters, 
do you ever see a day where rights for soccer events are divided separately into TV rights and streaming rights? For example, Fox may have the TV rights for the World Cup or the Bundesliga, but ESPN would have the online streaming rights. It seems like an interesting topic to me. And Amazon getting the rights to stream 20 Premier League games a season in the UK might be a shift toward that direction. I would be very interested to hear about um, hear both of your opinions. I apologize if you've covered the topic uh, before and I may have missed it. Love the pod. Thank you for all the work you both put into it. Kartik, great question. What do you think on this one? Um, fantastic question, Alan. I think... Um, uh, well, let me I jump in. This is, the, well, this, is, this is the big $9 million question, Chris, in all of TV sports broadcasting and rights um, and, and rights circles right now. I don't have an answer. It's, it's, um, but it's a great question because I think this is, this is what executives at this very moment, Alan, as you asked this question, are grappling with in their offices. Uh, as we talk about, we just talked about uh, um, uh, perform earlier in the show. As they now become a player in the business, Bleacher Report uh, by Turner, ESPN Plus by by Disney, etc. These all of these these um, streaming services and OTTs uh, become uh, a thing. And um, we talked about uh, it's more symbolic than anything. What they what they uh, obtained three weeks ago, those twenty Premier League matches. Um, the, the 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 model is evolving it's changing but it might also be one of these things where this boomerangs if it doesn't work out in this sort of this right cycle so it's really tough to answer but great question yeah i think um this premier league deal with amazon in, in the uk where amazon gets uh, 20 of the games mostly over i think uh the holiday period and bank holidays i think it is um yeah. it's it's a test it's a test to see whether or not this is going to work and what the adoption is among uh, soccer fans in the UK and whether now that uh, helps uh, increase the number of Amazon Prime subscribers. Um, and I think the Premier League will learn a lot from this in terms of whether this model could work. Because if it works with the Premier League, I, I can see this definitely applying uh, overseas, I mean, worldwide. Um, and again, it depends on which league. So I can see, say, Serie A doing a deal Maybe not this round, but in a future round, I mean, in a few years from now, where they say, okay, well, actually, having the games streaming only on ESPN Plus is great, uh, but we're missing those kind of that big um, dis uh, distributor. We're missing that big kind of TV broadcast. Uh, we've got a lot of complaints from uh, Italian soccer fans that they can't see Serie A no longer, any longer on television. So I can see a deal happening where you mean that television, like being sports, if if they're around in a few years from now, would say, yeah, we'll we'll show Serie A on television and we'll have the, the, some of the streaming on ESPN Plus. Again, with NBC, NBC wants to for the Premier League as an example right now. They want the whole package. They want to own the, own the Premier League in the United States. So they have the, they have the, you mean the cable packages. They have the the streaming um, services available and kind of all the, everything that's involved in being able to kind of deliver that to the consumers. So yeah, no, it's a great question. For me, it's uh, it's a wait and see. I, I can see it happening, but uh, a lot of it depends on um, this Premier League trial that they're doing uh, in the UK that we'll find out about in a few years from now. Now, listeners, you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as on Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. 
Plus, of course, you can post your comments on the mothership, uh, worldsoccertalk.com. So, Kartik, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, you can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. And Kartik, going into the round of 16 matches in this World Cup, what should the listeners do? Enjoy your football.